Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 707. Yeah, you know, I think I have to say that uh, everything's built around developing long-term relationships. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Don Rose. Hey, Don, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Smash the throttle, Mark. (laughs) There we go. Don Rose is an automotive specialist for RM Auctions, operating out of the Boston area. He joined RM in 2006 after years of trading classic and sports cars as a noted importer of European classics while living in London. He specialized in sports and GT cars and is participating in the relatively new area of Japanese collector cars. An avid participant of road rally events and hill climbs, Don has also raced his ex-Pete Lovely Lotus 11. Pete lived up here in the Pacific Northwest. I knew him well when he was still with us. He is a collector and loves all things Bond, James Bond, and was the lead when the DB5007 Goldfinger film car sold back in 2010. He serves as the vice chairman of the Aston Martin Owners Club of North America, and he was the founding editor of their club magazine, The Vantage Point. So, Don, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? You know, after I returned from London, you know, where I started trading cars after my prior career, because this is a second career for me after 30 years in the music industry, and then getting left there in London at the tail uh, with a couple of pennies in my pocket and a little too much time on my hands. What else can you do but, you know, look for cars and start <laughs> starting to buy some cars? And you can't own them all, so you have to start selling and trading. So I considered myself in the trade on at sort of a semi-pro level. And uh, I started, you know, working with the auction companies as my way of, uh, of selling the cars because it was a lot more fun buying them by myself than selling them. <laughs> yes, it usually is. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know... I, I think that's uh, it goes without saying, and and you know, and there's a saying in the trade, you know, you make your money on the buy, and the sell is what it is. So, you know, I got uh, I'm very enamored with the um, the auction process, and as a result, um, made friends with uh, at the various companies, and I I was recruited into RM now RM Sotheby's, mm-hmm. and I just completed my tenth uh, year with the company. Wow, <laughs> you must like it there. Yeah, it's a good gig. It's gone by in a flash, you know, but I'm not uh, in management. I don't have administrative responsibilities. I'm, I'm what you might call a hunter-gatherer because we have these scheduled sales, you know, an annual calendar of uh, regular events. But they're, uh, you know, as brilliant as they are in these wonderful locations, they mean nothing, you know, without great cars. So you're the guy or one of the guys that goes out and finds these magnificent cars, does the uh, negotiating with the seller or convinces the seller that RM Sotheby's is the right place to place their car, and you're feeding that that funnel of cars that goes to all these auctions. Yeah, essentially, and there's some, um, uh, and then you have to take into account that uh, built in there's a there's a lot of 
you know, sort of, you know, after sale servicing, if you will. It's not just about consigning the cars. So we take very seriously our responsibility for marketing and promotion and selling Mm. the cars. Whenever anybody says to me, um, you know, that they might be interested in running their car through, stop them and say, no, we, we only want to talk about getting your car sold. You know, we're, we're, we don't need the practice. I understand a hundred percent. And I assume a lot of that is vetting the vehicles that come online to make sure that what you're representing is absolutely accurate for the buyer. Because sometimes sellers uh, might say augment what their car is, or maybe they don't know the real history of their car. I've heard of that happening where they bought something from somebody who told them one thing and the story carries on and turns out the story isn't exactly accurate. So I would assume that's a big part of it as well. It is a big part of it. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not uncommon at all, you know, that I, that I travel to look at a car, you know, especially a, a car of, of greater value or, or more historical significance. And, um, you know, I have to say the company has the, the largest and most knowledgeable um, uh, full-time research department um, mm. of any of the houses. And we take that very seriously. And, and it's so important um, and has gotten a lot more important as, uh, as, the, as cars have appreciated and, you know, and the stakes have risen is, is that, you know, we have to be um, astute about accuracy and proper disclosures, and and it's uh, you know really important to keep everything righteous and clean. Very very important. Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about all this as we continue on your journey and head down your road. But first, I'd like to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Don, take the wheel. Yeah, you know, I think I have to say that uh, everything's built around developing long-term relationships. You know, I've, I've often said that if I do a deal with somebody just once, I've failed. Mm. Um, so it's all about the long game, and, and it's about also, you know, the pleasure of developing long-term relationships and, right. and making friendships, you know, that inevitably occur as a result. Um, so... I think that the the measure of how that works a lot has come down to me in this business and also in my prior business career. It's that those relationships aren't necessarily strongest as a result of everything going perfectly all the time, but they're measured by when something goes sideways, you know, how you react and and how you respond to to make things right. right. You know, I think that's the, the you know the true measure of who you are and how you do business. Absolutely. Integrity is absolutely key, especially when it comes to investment grade cars and vehicles and products and art and all the different things that Sotheby sells beyond cars. Right on. Well, let's go back in time here. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life that you knew you were a car guy? You know, it's earlier than I can remember, which isn't much of a much of a story. <laughs> my father always told me the first word, and I don't know if this is something you can take literally or not, but as he remembers it, my first word was uh, Ford, um, except I called it sword at a ridiculously young age before I can even remember. He claims that I could 
you know, point out different cars on the road at the time. And I was, I was born in the <laughs> mid fifties. And yeah. so this, you know, this would have been, you know, in the late fifties, you know, my earliest memories were never having any confusion between a Buick and Oldsmobile. You know, I seem to have been born with that somehow. <laughs> the only other thing I'll say as far as feeling like a car person from early days so always been fascinated and, and started buying magazines, you know, from the day I could read and, you know, moved up through a progression of, of magazines until I hit road and track. And <laughs> that's when I sort of found my niche in the, you know, European sports and GT cars that, uh, that are, that are still my area of interest mostly today. Awesome. Well, I hear that from a lot of my guests. That uh, when they were very young, they could spot different cars and things. So there must be a DNA thing that happens there or a certain kind of petrol flowing through your veins or our veins. I was the same way. My parents used to tell me, how does he know what kind of car that is? So, yeah, just something we're born with as car people, I think. Well, Don, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you face along the way in your career somehow. Take us to that painful moment. The most important part of this, of course, is how you overcame that and what it taught you so you can move forward. So tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in moving forward in your career and your business. I think this is an easy one, Mark, because it uh, looms large mm -hmm. in my career at, uh, at RM Sotheby's. So when I had my very first meeting with uh, company founder Rob Meyer, and, you know, and I was already involved with uh, the Aston Martin Owners Club and uh, I was active in that world. And uh, and I told him in that meeting, I said, you know, I'm going to make it my business to track down the first James Bond film car, the DB5 Aston from Goldfinger. <laughs> cool. You've got to shoot high, right? And you've got to have uh, dreams. Yep. And that was a car that I don't think I'm overstating to say it did change my life as a boy of 10 in 1965. My mother took me to see Goldfinger in the summer at a drive-in movie theater in Michigan where, where I was uh, natively born. So it turned out to be no secret where the car was. It was actually one of two that were in the film, but one had gone missing since 1997 and was presumed to be you know, some type of uh, insurance fraud, but it's also presumed to be lost forever. So now that's 20 years ago and no sign of it since. So that leaves the other car, which happens to have been the car that wasn't loaded with all the gadgets in Goldfinger, although it was later on for Thunderball. But it was the car that got most of the screen time because it was as the so-called road car. Mm -hmm. It was faster and sat properly on its suspension and all of that. So as a legitimate uh, Bond film car, it was the the only remaining of the original two. I went, I I um, tracked down the owner, requested a, a visit to a very nice man from uh, Philadelphia area named Jerry Lee, who'd owned the car since 1969. Wow. And he bought it as a promotional from the factory directly where it was gathering dust in the, in the back somewhere. And he tracked it down, had his own journey trying to find it. And he was a Bond fan, as it turned out. And he was looking at it as, as something that might help him promote his radio station. And when he brought it back, to the United States and he did his first event, the car was mobbed, absolutely mobbed as he 
tells the tens of thousands of people. <laughs> and it gave him a bit of a fright because he was concerned that, uh, you know, that it could be overwhelmed by the crowd and damaged. And, and so he took it immediately off of his promotional circuit and took the car underground, literally. He built a room in his house to, uh, and had the car installed in the house, surrounded by some posters and other Bond memorabilia. Wow. And that's where the car had remained. He'd let it go a couple of times for the factory, borrowed it once or twice for uh, auto shows, mm -hmm. um, but not since the early 80s. It hadn't been uh, seen in public. And he was getting to the point where he was retiring from his business and he had some uh, excellent philanthropic tendencies and was looking to uh, fund a philanthropic organization that he'd founded and thought that it might be a good time to, to sell the car. He uh, told me what he had it insured for. And, and I said, well, Jerry, I think you're underinsured on the car. And he said, really? And that led to a discussion about what it might bring at auction. And he started thinking about what good he could do with the money. So we made a plan and we worked together very closely for a good nine months in preparing for the sale of the car in our London auction in uh, 2010. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I attribute the nine months to almost until like giving birth because I went through, you know, many different development phases until everything pops on the day. And we did tremendous research. We took the car up to um, RM also uh, is uh, well regarded in the um, restoration business. Mm -hmm. And so we had the car very carefully recommissioned as a runner again, not restored in any other way other than uh, mechanically for the road. And then I embarked upon a global marketing tour. I took the car to the UK and back and spent a lot of time in New York. I was on the Today Show with the car. Wow. We went uh, went cross country and ultimately took the car to Hong Kong. And uh, before it went back to the UK, where we did the whole round of uh, just prior to the sale, did the whole round of the, uh, you know, the morning TV shows and um, and it was on all the British papers, and uh, there was a huge press buzz. So it was a dream for me. It was not only my ambitious, ob stated objective coming to fruition, but it it also brought me back to the very beginning of my um, fascination with, with Bond and Aston Martin and uh, sort of sophisticated European cars in general from the age of 10. So here's where things went sideways. The buildup was so massive that the actual result came in as something of a disappointment. Mm. Not necessarily to our original view of the value of the car. In fact, it came in very close. But the press, and because of all the promotion that we did, was speculating over and over and, and each publication trying to outdo the next and there were journalists saying, you know, this car could bring $20 million. This could bring, uh, be, be the most valuable car ever sold, which was well beyond our expectation of around $5 million. Yes, just a bit. And we never said that. We never printed an actual published estimate in our catalog, which is our usual 
norm, but we said we thought the car would bring in excess of $5 million. And in the end, it, it brought 4.6. Mm-hmm. And that sounds, you know, it's within 10% of our original estimate on something that's a one of a kind right? and difficult to value. But personally, I was crushed mm-hmm. because I wasn't buying the $20 million hype, you know, but a couple million more, I think, uh, the car well-deserved. And I think the lesson there for me is that endeavoring to leave no stone unturned in retrospect, I think I overmarked the car. I see. I didn't allow anybody to discover it because it was sort of in everybody's face. Mm-hmm. And I've been accustomed to aggressive marketing from my years in the music industry. And uh, this was, was sort of a lesson for me. Sometimes it's good to let people discover things for themselves rather than, um, you know, than, than, than make everything completely clear and an opportunity available to everyone. Sure. You know, right off the bat. Well, the longest labor, we'll call that one. <laughs> Holy cow. We will. <laughs> yeah. We will. We'll call it a painful one. How about Prouder's career moments? I would assume you've had a few. You've made a lot of people happy, both sellers and buyers. Is there one that stands out for you? Yeah, there's one that's very um, top of my mind at the moment because it's a large and wonderful estate collection that I've consigned for our Amelia Island auction next month in March. And what's meaningful about that, particularly for me, is that the collector was one of my favorite clients. And, you know, we develop a very warm relationship and uh, we talked about cars frequently and with you know with a very similar mindset and I really came to uh, respect him a great deal and we had a, a sad moment last year it was actually ironically during Monterey week something that he would never miss he'd gone a little quiet and then we got the news that he passed away suddenly mm-hmm. so from that sadness a few weeks later i had a contact from his wife and she had expressed that that her husband his name was oren smith mm-hmm. wonderful man had told her that if anything had ever happened to him that uh, that she could rely on me so oh, so nice. she called me and yeah yes i mean it's, it's really the first time that somebody's total confidence is with something so close to them is has come back so close to me. So it's a 63 car, no reserve sale to benefit his estate mm-hmm. and, and their children and so on. And we're doing it as a separate day, but adjacent to our regular you know, variety sale on the Saturday at Amelia. So on Friday evening, Mm-hmm. We're doing orange cars with a separate catalog entitled uh, A Gentleman's Collection, which suits him and, and my uh, view of him. Very nice indeed. Well, let's have a little bit more fun here and talk about your first really special car. What was that vehicle? And maybe share a memory you have with that car. Well, you know, Mark, that's a hard one. You know, I had a number of cars, right? I was always buying a car and uh, not for profit in the early days. They would break or get totaled or I would 
move on from the $400 car to the $800 car. More to the point of your question is my first Aston Martin, which was a DB4 mm-hmm. that I bought in 92. And of course, I was fixated like most others, just sort of skimming the, the surface of the Aston Martin world with DB5. But DB5s always command a premium, you know, and at sometimes they've been up to double the value of uh, of a DB4. So I found a DB4 that I became enamored with. So I start reading and digging as as I always do, and started to appreciate it for its qualities as the first of the line. It's a lighter, more sporting car than a, than a DB5, and I've come to regard it retrospectively is really the connoisseur's choice between the two. Mm-hmm. And I still have version two of that car here 25 years later. So it's something that's, um, you know, of, of all the other things that have come and gone during that period, that's been a, a constant. And I'm still uh, as enamored with it, mm-hmm. you know, as with anything else I've owned. Well, speaking of things that have come and gone, I would assume you have a few for this question, but if you could pick one, just one car that you have seller's remorse over, you'd love to have back in your garage, what would it be? You know, it, it's funny, seller's remorse, because I actually did sell my DB4 briefly, and that was my really seriously bad, bad case of seller's remorse. And I sold it to move up the Aston Martin chain and replace it with another car, but I missed it immediately, and I regretted it. And uh, within short order, I bought it back. <laughs> very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question, Don. If you were a car, what kind of car would Don be, and why? Oh, you know, I'm tempted to say an Aston Martin DB5. <laughs> I, I, I figured that's where you were going to go. <laughs> I won't flatter myself with, uh, um, I bear no resemblance to uh, James Bond. I think I'd have to say, you know what? I've had four and through the current day continue to own a 1991 Mercedes 560SEC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 91 happens to be the last year of that style, which was the big body coupe, what today would be called their S class. Mm-hmm. And, and it was. It was the flagship of the Mercedes range in the day. They were they were more expensive, um, you know, than uh, than a 560SL, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, the sticker on the car was about eighty five thousand dollars in nineteen ninety one. Expensive. Um, to give you an idea of how you know, I think you could probably get into an entry level S class today for about that money. Mm-hmm. So it proves the or makes the point anyway that the cars of that era were built to a standard, not built to a price. Right. And those things, I, I still find them handsome, elegant, bulletproof, reliable, they're comfortable. And, uh, you know, I'd love to drive the thing, you know, long distances. And, you know, they're, they're just a joy. There you go. Very nice. Well, Don, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, Let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. 
For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Driving never meant more as the all-new driving adventure awaits you with a not-for-profit drive toward a cure. Combines two spirited drives for a weekend of cars and camaraderie in Paso Robles, California. All to support finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. In a showcase of ribbon roads in California of chrome and elegance, coming up this April 28th. Enjoy some of the nicest cars, people, drives, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving towards a cure for Parkinson's. To register or donate, click on drivetowardacure.com or check out Cars Yeah guest Deb Pollock's show notes page where there's links to drive toward a cure. Donate today, or better yet, go for the drive. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars yeah website at com. Okay, Don, we are back and we're entering the last lap and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Go for it. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Love it or leave it. <laughs> yes, very important. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? It has to be my obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> I've heard that from many guests. I think I suffer from that same ailment as well. It's not so bad. So, Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Well, you know, if you talk about resource, I mean, you know, you know since I'm with RM Sotheby's, you know, there's a tremendous resource there and anybody who would like to contact me, you know, can do so through through the company website. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have a Facebook page, I'm on Instagram, but you know, like everybody else in the world. Yeah. So nothing yeah. really special there. My own resources that I rely on is a lifelong library of books mm -hmm. about cars. And mm -hmm. for as much information as as you can find online, which is considerable, there's Still nothing to uh, compare to uh, an extensive library of, of car books. Absolutely. We're going to talk about books in just a second. But first, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Phil Hill. Phil Hill. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? His, his son has been a guest here on the show, and I had the pleasure of meeting Phil several times. In fact, I've got an awesome picture of of Phil with my son Blake when he was a little boy when I was lace, racing a Lotus 18 and the Blake was in the car and Phil was sitting on the wheel next to him and uh, uh, it's one of those treasure photographs that uh, I have. Well, speaking of books, is there a book that you could share with the Car Show listeners that you've really enjoyed? Yeah, sure. I, uh, a book that stuck with me. You know, it's been around a while now. 
but it's uh, Mark uh, Donahue's book, The Unfair Advantage. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. should be on every person's shelf who loves racing or loves cars in general. And I'll remind our listeners that uh, you can find all these great resources on Don's show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Don Rose in the search bar, and that page will pop up with all of these links. And we talked about having a, a great library. There's a great resource on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book from Don and all the past 700-plus guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. Just click on the resources page on the Cars Yeah website. All right, Don, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a, a bit of a doozy for a guy like you that loves lots of cars. We'll see how you answer this one. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, and don't worry about the price because I'm going to raise my bidding paddle high. I'll buy you whatever you'd like today. What would that vehicle be, and more importantly, why? You know, I've been around a while, right? I'm not getting <laughs> any younger. I think a Bentley Continental R-Type. Oh, you surprised me. <laughs> is really the uh, what I would regard as it ticks all the boxes for me as the ultimate uh, post-war automobile. Wow. Uh, it was yeah. not only the fastest four-seat production car in the world and the most expensive car of any description in its day, but it was built as a sport coupe, if you can imagine that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, know, and, you know, as a Bentley, it was, you know, still in, you know, 37, 3,800 pounds, a lot of aluminum mm -hmm. built in for lightness. The car uh, idles absolutely silently at uh, 500 RPMs with tons of torque. The guys rallied them in, uh, you know, mountain hill climbs and in period. And if you look at the, the list of the original owners, you know, from Briggs Cunningham to Agnelli to the Shah of Iran to, you know, other heads of state, uh, you know, Hollywood luminaries, captains right. of industries, they only made 207. And it's the most amazing list of, uh, you know, Onassis. If I had it in front of me, it would blow your mind. <laughs> what year were those cars manufactured? Was it just in one year or was it over a series of years? Uh, 52 to 55. Wow. Well, I'm familiar with those cars and not as much as you, of course, but the beauty of them and the sportiness of them, which is what's pretty cool. And I've always thought of uh, Bentley as the car that the driver wants to impress himself with versus Rolls being the guy who wants to impress others with. So. Oh, I like that. I'm happy you chose a Bentley. And of course, that car, since I love sports cars like you do. What a nice choice. What color would you like yours to be? Black. Black, of course. Yeah, most of them were, but... Only be black. Yeah, wow. What a choice. Well, Don, you have taken us on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you head off down the roadway in that Bentley Continental R? Yeah, you know, they say the early bird gets the worm. Mm. Well, I'm not an early riser, so if you can't get up early, stay up late. <laughs> there you go. I like that. And let me add my favorite advice. Yes. Always. Forward in all directions. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, well again, how can uh, listeners learn more about you and what you're doing there at RM Sotheby's? 
Well, really, just to contact me directly, and you know, from there's a you know there's a short bio, you know, on the RM Sotheby's uh, website uh, with my contact information. I'm always happy to chat cars. I, I can't be stopped. And of course, if you're going to be at Amelia Island uh, next month, uh, look for Don. He'll be there, I'm sure. I'll be easy to find. Easy to find with the gentleman's collection, as you say. So. Awesome. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Don's been so kind to share at CarsYeah.com on his show notes page. Just type Don in the search bar and that page will pop up. I would encourage you to also check out RM Sotheby's site. It is a fun place to go. There's always something new and different there. The best of the best, RM Sotheby's. Wow, what a fun place to spend your life around cars. Don, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Happy trails. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!